<laughs> Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. This is episode two. I'm your host, J.M. Prater, and I am joined by... This is Ryan. How's it going? This is Patrick. What's up? And here we are again. We thought we'd uh, deliver another episode. Uh, there's Blade Runner 2049 is about less than two months away. There's a lot of Ooh. excitement. There's a lot happening. And uh, there's a lot that we want to talk about. So... We'll probably try as best we can to maybe do an episode a week. We'll see how it goes. We have a lot on our plates. Um, mm-hmm. We're all working. Some of us are fathers. We're moving. We're working. All that good stuff. Um, so the first is the news roundup. And I'll, I'll start off. Uh, composers. Uh, it had been reported that Johan Johansson, who has worked with Denis Villeneuve quite a bit on many of his films and did the score for Arrival, which is one of the best scores I own. Um, mm-hmm. Very, It's more like a, I don't know, it's more like a soundscape than it is a traditional score. It's more like atmosphere to me than it is melodic music, which is fine. I love atmosphere. Yeah. Um, and so he's been working on 2049. You know, it was announced over a year ago. And then um, come to find out that Hans Zimmer, who everyone knows, who I know, who's a big, you know, who's scored many films. One of my all-time favorite scores that I've been listening to lately is uh, the score for Interstellar. Um, so in, good. Oh, so good. And in part inspired by Philip Glass. But uh, mm. uh, so, yeah, Hans Zimmer is, has joined on to the soundtrack. And he's got another guy working with him. And I can't remember his name. Benjamin Wallfish. Okay. What else about That's that? Great name. Yeah, so so I you know I was thinking about this as the token musician in the group, um, and uh, I looked at some old interviews with Denny Villeneuve where he's talking about some of his priorities for this mm-hmm. film. And you know we've talked a lot about how he's made it very clear that from a stylistic and a you know cinematography standpoint, he wants to match a lot of the aesthetics and a lot of the look of the film, so it feels really. Um, of a part with the original, mm-hmm. but that extends to the music. And so from the very beginning, he was saying two things. One is that he wanted to work, continue his relationship with Johan Johansson, which I agree is tremendously fruitful and has come yeah. up with a lot of amazing stuff. I mean, he's awesome. Um, but he also said that he considers Vangelis's score to be, you know, a work of genius and something that is inextricably tied to the aesthetic and to the um to the world of the original blade runner film and i and i I mean i know we've the three of us have talked about this i know jamie listens to this thing all the time like that original score is like just a unique beautiful document so i totally get that so so i guess um johansson actually in an interview early on said that he felt a little bit uh nervous or, or he felt like it was a an intimidating um, prospect to try to um bring out the sort of vangelis um aesthetic within his own sonic uh architecture and, and i can totally you know i can totally understand why because uh you know like johansson has a very distinct voice which is which is yes. very beautiful and very much his own but it's very identifiably his yeah. and vangelis you know especially in the blade runner score has his own very distinct aesthetic so um what it seems like was happening was Johansson had scored much of the film, probably the whole thing at this point, to be honest, and uh, and it wasn't quite hearkening back to the original score enough. So they brought in, you know, two complete ringers. So one of them is Hans Zimmer, who's like basically, you know, of course the go-to score guy these days because mm-hmm. he's just like completely mm-hmm. dependable. He's a very good collaborator. You know, he's worked with um, a number of other composers on other projects through the years, um, in addition to his own scores. 
Yeah. And then Ben Walfish, who uh, is another guy who's done like over 60 films, um, a lot of independent releases, a lot of sort of very workmanlike uh, additions to a lot of scores and a lot of um, mm-hmm. projects. And it's, these are two people who can kind of get the job done. And they were, I think they were brought in late in the process to do not a complete rewrite, but to do an augmentation of what Johansson came up with. And probably I, I would I would think part of that is Johansson saying, hey, it might be worthwhile uh, having you know some, some other people come in here that might um, be able to bring more angles to the score than I've been able to bring to it. You know, it's funny. When you watch the trailer um, – which I know we're going to get to shortly. The the music is very clearly um, harkening back to the Vangela score, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. so so I'm I'm hoping that we get more of that in the film. But I'm also hoping that we don't completely trample over Johansson's um, own you know voice, which again I think is really pretty cool and pretty worthwhile. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. My fear about it was that, uh, or my initial thought was that the studio. Um, didn't like Johansson's score, and so they brought in these two, like you said, these two ringers, and brought in Zimmer to help clean it up. And um, but uh, but no, it sounds like uh, it was Johansson himself who was like, you know, I could probably use some some help with this one, um, and uh, which was fine. I mean, you know, at first I wasn't big on Zimmer being brought aboard, but I mean, he's. He's a total veteran. I mean, I'm just looking at IMDb. He's got almost 200 composer credits to his That's name. Nuts. Yeah, he's done just so many classic films. Um, Interstellar is an amazing score, yeah. among among many others. And so he knows what he's doing. And uh, you know, I, I guess it's more just going to be a collaboration. I I really have. I feel like all three of them are going to make you know make a combine and make a beautiful score for it. So I'm not. Yeah. I'm not concerned anymore. So totally. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Zimmer has said himself in interviews gone by. I mean, interviews a long time ago. He said he had considered Vangelis's score for um, Blade Runner one of you know uh, something that has inspired his career. Um, mm-hmm. And my mm-hmm. I, here's the thing: I don't think I don't want to hear Vangelis again. I don't want them to bring back the theme from the yeah. original Blade Runner. I don't want to hear right. it. I want to hear something new. Now, I can understand them using it on the trailers a little bit because they're they're kind of conjuring that world a little bit and maybe they want to keep it under wraps. And I know mm-hmm. that uh, Johan Johansson did this, has done the theme for this new Blade Runner film. Um, yeah. But uh, I just, I really... And, but actually, I should say, too, there was a, a video interview with uh, Ridley Scott, and he said that Vangelis was also going to be involved, but he wasn't gonna, He wasn't sure to what capacity. So I don't take that with a grain of salt. Ridley Scott says a lot of things. Um, <laughs> it's hard to tell Ridley Scott sometimes. <laughs> um, and, and there's been no mention of it since. Um, yeah, no, I, but, haven't heard, I haven't heard anything about that yeah. since then, yeah. Um, but I'm really, you know, and I, we've discussed this before in terms of Blade Runner, making a movie, the script, the writing, the world, conjuring that aesthetic, all of that is so difficult in and of itself. I can't yeah. imagine trying to score this and not trying to redo what Rangelis did, but say, Hey, no, let's, let's tell a new story with this music and let's, let's create a new character. Cause that's really what they're doing. They're creating a new yeah, character. Right. It's going to be a- really key element but yeah at the same time i don't want just another rehash for sure you know and i really trust you know johansson i've loved his scores for bill news movies so far and uh you know i think i think this is going to be another really memorable memorable score and not not just it'll be identifiably its own um you know just like the from the visuals i've seen so far and the trailers and stuff it's 
it's like it looks like Blade Runner at the same time. It looks like a Denny Villeneuve movie, and it looks it like does. It's, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I love, and I think I think it's going to be a great fit. Yeah, for, for it. So, it is so, yeah. so beautiful. It's just so, come together. It, it is so beautiful, but and, and it is so. It, it's like it's identifiably Blade Runner. But you're right. It looks like Denny Villeneuve making a Blade Runner film. So I I, it, I agree. I really hope that the score comes across like something that's a synthetic new hole. That um, feels like it's of a part with the original score, but it brings something mm-hmm. new to the table. Yeah. Because because you're like you know we always talk about this, and God knows we talked about it enough with Covenant, is um, you know you have to find that balance between what is uh, you know a, a reference to an original source and what is like a, a plagiarism <laughs> of an original source. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And deviates too far from that original source, and it, and it seems like especially with these movies that are so tight like Blade Runner you're really going for something that feels like it's it's a Blade Runner experience but it's not a rehashing you know what yeah. I mean because yeah. like we've waited 35 years for this to come out mm-hmm. so if it comes out and it just feels like it's like a behind the scenes documentary of Blade Runner or something <laughs> yeah. you know it's going to be a disappointment right yeah right so musically it's the same the same thing totally Absolutely. And, you know, I was thinking about uh, even Hans Zimmer and I, you know, one of one of my all time favorite scores he has done was for the Thin Red Line, um, mm. which is amazing. He, unfortunately, he rehashed that beautiful theme for that garbage movie, uh, Pearl Harbor. Um, no. <laughs> um, he just I, I, I don't you know, I, I saw Pearl Harbor once just hoping maybe it would be good. Um, and it wasn't. But uh, the Thin Red Line is amazing. I mean, the score for his the Batman films, particularly um, uh, the last Batman, was it The Dark Knight Returns? Um, yeah. It was just epic and oh, just amazing. And just how, the, how he used the voices. And it, uh, and then he did oh, the, incredible. Totally. Rises, and then Dark he, Knight Rises. Yes, yeah. The Dark Knight Dark Rises. Rises. Right, right, right. And then he also helped with the score for Tron 2.0, which is deeply embedded in that synth culture. So, uh, so after Inception came out, you know, I, for one thing, I, I do love that movie. If you guys oh, don't, me it's, too. it's fine. No, I, I love I it. I love that movie. Inception. And I think the awesome. score, is like, score is like incredible to it. And, uh, and so I was like listening to it all the time. And I was at a rehearsal for a musical that I was in. And it was in another state. It was like a pretty long drive. And one of my best buddies, Devin, was in the car with me. And we were driving back. And we got a hurricane warning on the radio coming back into Boston they were like oh like we're gonna get in it was Hurricane Sandy oh wow um, they were like stay off the roads and we're like fuck no <laughs> and we turn on the Inception soundtrack and we like blasted like the blah oh yeah like, <laughs> like, lowering, like the winds are howling and I was like this is so dangerous but it's so worth it so <laughs> it was like an amazing it just captured that that feeling of urgency so yeah. so vividly yes and and we might not have deserved to survive that experience, but we <laughs> That's funny. You know, what's interesting is uh, that score for Inception that Hans Zimmer did um, really started a trend that, that, that loud sound, that loud, like, what, what do you call that? What instrument would make that sound? Um, they didn't use that instrument, but it's that kind of yeah. trumpet sound, whatever. It's, it's not trumpet. Low, yeah. low horns and some trombones and yeah. stuff like that. It really it actually you a great started, episode of a, a podcast about that that I recommend people check out. Um, and it was, I think it was, it was either 20,000 Hertz or 99% invisible, but one of those two shows did a great episode. That's all about that sound. Interesting. That he keeps using and that has become sort of, it's like in every single movie now, yeah. <laughs> but you have to call it like the wonk. It's one of those two uh, podcasts. I, I apologize for not remembering. And it's which great. One. And I remember when Prometheus, the trailer for Prometheus dropped and they used that, a version of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of got, 
then I remember reading people's comments saying, oh, my God, how much are they going to use this thing? You know, um, but really, yeah. it just they know five years would go by and we'd still be using it all. The time. But uh, yeah, I mean, so I, I like you guys, I, I have complete faith in um, in Hans Zimmer. I, you know, I think he is a musical genius. Um, I don't think there's anything that he's done that uh, except for the soundtrack to um, the soundtrack to. um, um What's that movie? The god awful movie. The sequel to that movie with Tom Hanks where he's a symbologist. Like it's so, it's so Oh, uh, Da Vinci Code. Yeah. Uh, what was the last what, movie? Hell's Inferno. Uh, Inferno. 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 Oh, that piece of Inferno. fucking garbage. The brief aside with Inferno was just, you know, it was very you could tell that no one is half hearted effort all around. And you could tell that the score is this really bad synth score. Um, you know, just it just seemed very like no one was really into it. And yeah, it, that definitely wasn't Zimmer's best effort yeah. for sure. Yeah, so it was the whole thing was not just a score, but really the movie. That movie was just phoned in. Um, yeah, that's why when they uh, I'm not to get too far into this because this is about Blade Runner twenty forty nine. But when right. they when they announced that uh, what's his name Ron Howard was taking over Han Solo, Ron Howard the safest filmmaker in hollywood um yeah who doesn't take who doesn't ever take a risk um whose movies bore me to death these days i was like oh no um <laughs> but here's yeah. hoping here's hoping he's the older jj abrams basically so. uh, yeah yeah the safer jj <laughs> abrams We can kind of uh, start talking about kind of the the inception of Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Excuse the pun, um, nice. <laughs> because the <laughs> the film has really uh, been through kind of a lot of hands, and it was going to be many different things for a while. And um, the the production began in nineteen ninety nine, actually, and it was uh, uh, Stuart Hazeldine had written a script based off of the Edge of Human. Um, and it was called Blade Runner Down, which is an interesting title. Um, and then they shelved the, the, the production because of rights. And then Ridley Scott just thought maybe he would get into a sequel. Um, and it just kind of, kind of been rumbling from there. And it's, um, and it kind of, again, uh, Bud Yorkin got involved to, uh, produce the first one, as you guys well know, um, so it's it's interesting to see how long, uh, or or how yeah how long this film. I mean, you're, you're talking so it's 2017. So this film has been in motion for 18 years. You know, yeah, um, which is fascinating to me. No, I would imagine that there were probably false starts before that because there's 17 years between 82 and 1999. So even between those two things, there's like this you know huge amount of time that went by. So for for all of the things we that we know about, you know that there must have been a, a million false starts. Um, you know, between those two, but it's 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 weird how many different directions it was it was taken in, like because the, there was Edge of Human, right, which is a novel that was a continuation of the film and the and the Philip K. Dick story, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then so that was what they were going to film, and then they they said no to that. Yeah, and then Scott and his brother uh, wanted to do this thing called Purefold, which you, you might be able to elaborate on more than I can. But it seems to me like it was a series of shorts. Yes. Um, and this was in like 2008, 2009. Yeah, 2009. Um, 2009. And, uh, and it was uh, – 
and it was going to be like a, a number of like very short segments that were um, a continuation uh, of the story set like in ni- in 2019. Yeah. So it wasn't even it wasn't even like really in the future. Right. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm just trying to I'm trying to picture like what, what what that would have felt like to have these like bizarre little shorts that were taking place like immediately after the events of the first film. Yeah. Um, and like like how how stunted that I think that would have felt. You know, I have been uh, like the animatrix that they did for the Matrix series. You know, yeah, that's a good point. Which I actually enjoyed that. You know, there was interesting you know, different stories, different perspectives. Um, but uh, uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm glad they went the full full feature route. So yeah. <laughs> Although when you think about it, it's pretty it's pretty ballsy for them to do that. You know, like to go from all of these like very small um aborted projects to a, a film with uh with like a, a really truly you know major studio hollywood budget yeah in uh, an mm-hmm. a-list cast including harrison ford um you know being released in a, in a year where a film like alien covenant you know um is performing below expectations you know like it, there's a lot of risk being being rolled into this right. thing Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a ton of risk just because the film was a flop. Now, unclike Alien, where the Alien films have been marginal, well, been, they've been really profitable actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the ones that failed, like Alien Resurrection, um, failed, but overseas it made quite a bit of money. Alien Three mm-hmm. overseas made quite a bit of money. Um, yeah, right. But Blade Runner mm-hmm. just failed. Um, yeah. And so it's it's a huge risk that they're taking. And uh, I. Yeah. I, I thought I, I think it would have been interesting if Ridley Scott and his brother, who are both obviously, as we know, incredible visionaries um, mm-hmm. and visualists, um, if they would have uh, produced a, these short films, what they would have looked like, what they'd have felt like. I mean, uh, it it could have been amazing. And actually, Ryan, I think you, you bring up a really good point with the the fact that this that it would have, that there was a precedent for it with the Animatrix. Like yeah. earlier, when I was when I was preparing for this episode, I was thinking, have I have I seen anything like that before? And I guess that's probably the only corollary I can really think of. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but so then, so then Ridley Scott decided he was going to direct it again. Right after that, like that he was going to do a feature length film. Well, actually, but um, after that, um, when that died, Bud York yeah. announced that he was developing a new Blade Runner film. Um, and it was reported that Christopher Nolan was the the choice for the director. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and then it wasn't uh, until that would have been crazy. A year and that was later. That was yeah. like 2011, right? Yeah. 2011, yeah. And then it wasn't until later on that year that it was announced that Ridley Scott would then lead the new Blade Runner film. Um, right. So, and then like Andrew Koskov was coming on as producer, and uh, Harrison Ford wasn't involved at this point. They said it was unlikely for him to be involved. Okay. Wow. And then Scott went on record saying it was going to be a sequel, uh, but without the previous cast, and that he was looking for a writer, and kind of that was when the ball was rolling um, for him to uh, he for t- looking at uh, Hampton Fancher. Oh yeah, so this is when that that famous quote happened, uh, which I actually have here, where he's talking about Harrison Ford reappearing in it, and this is in 2012, and he says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is he too old? Meaning Harrison Ford. He says, "Well, he was a Nexus Six, so we don't know how long he can live." And that's all I'm going to say at this stage. And I just want to be like, like Ridley, dude. Like, yeah. It's like, so it's it's a weird statement because we know how long Nexus Six has lived, and also like it was never resolved whether or not he was a Nexus Six. Um, right. And, and indeed, in earlier versions, it seems pretty clear that he wasn't. So like, right. I'm just kind of wondering what he was what he was thinking about. But regardless, yeah. it just shows you like even as as recently as 2012, this was like all over the place. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. Totally. And uh, I think 
I, it doesn't, I've never, you know, we've discussed before, is Deckard a replicant? Is, De, is he not? Um, and if he's a replicant, he must have, he has to be a, a, a model that doesn't have an incept date. Or right. not a, what is that right? No, the incept date was when he's born. No, not the incept date. That's his birthday. Termination a, a termination date. date yes. Um, so because if he is, then then they have to be a whole separate model for Blade Runners. Because right. why would why would Deckard not have a termination date like that? Would well, like, or or he could he could have been an earlier mo- because just like you know in Covenant. Um, or in, in uh, how like Walter was specifically created to be like a controllable version of David. Yeah. Um, this this could be like you know the Blade Runners were actually replicants that were created to uh, have like a non-terminating lifespan that but but were more programmed to be subservient or something. Um, yeah. And uh, and then like the 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 models that went off world. Um, as like the you know like the combat models or the pleasure models or whatever we're all programmed with these like termination dates to avoid this issue of like sentience or, or self agency or whatever. I mean, there's there's a ton of you know ways that you could explain that, but um, there are for sure. Um, it just it's one of those things that kind of make it a little bit sticky. Like, oh yeah, he, I mean, I I think that there's been discussion from Denny Villeneuve and Harrison Ford and uh, other people that they're keeping whether or not Deckard is a replicant a secret but at the, the at the same time he's old like i don't care you know like if he was yeah, rep- yeah. if he was a replicant and he died young that would be interesting but he's not and he's 70 yeah. something years old in this like so it doesn't even really matter if he's a replicant to me right right yeah he's lived a long life like you know any human would i mean just um you know there's it's got to be some some different you know some some other thing going on in this movie that's going to be um you know more relevant or more um more interesting i think so because mm. that one that one's kind of gone you know that this whole is deckard a replicant i, I don't think it's going to matter in yeah. this movie yeah right um, right yeah i think you're absolutely right i think the yeah. focus is not about that you know? yeah mm-hmm. which is good right because because that means that it clears the stage for a new story and also because deckard was already kind of this unmoored uh protagonist like he was already somebody that you know we kind of have a degree of removal from because he's not this like perfect heroic archetype like it's okay if like he gets kind of freed up a little bit to do his own thing and we don't know all the answers about what happens to him because the story is the important part you know right yeah that being said i i do really wonder um about rachel and i'm like super excited to see me too like i'm hoping that we get some kind of a some kind of answers on that but you know what if we don't I'm okay with that too. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. need an answer. I, I think, no, uh, I'm okay. I'm yeah, okay. like I, uh, to me, it's all about the mystery. Like maybe hint about, you know, I mean, we knew she's a replicant. So, she, and she, at the end of Blade Runner, there's this urgency, like we need to go and live our lives because we don't know how long you have. Or we assume, but she doesn't know her incept date. She didn't know. She asked him, you know, um, right. although she was asking him and he wasn't responding. So maybe he does know. Yeah. Which brings us, I mean, to really to 2049. What are your, what are, what are your, thoughts about what you guys have seen yeah i was just looking over the trailer um the most recent one today and uh just really blown away um not just visually but uh there's um the thing i love about this is that it's a trailer that doesn't give almost anything away um which is so rare nowadays with um you know with a lot of trailers that just uh 
you know, um, I think even the well, one that just comes to mind right now is Terminator Genesis's trailer that gave away the, the whole uh, John Connor is now the antagonist, uh, oh, you know, and which was this, I mean, and if it, you know, if they didn't give it away in the trailer, it, you know, and people were a little bit more surprised in the movie. It still wouldn't have made the movie that good, but still, it was just uh, it's just so bizarre to give such a huge plot element away on the movie. But in this one, it's there's um, there's so much mystery to it, which is awesome. I mean, that's what I love about the you know the alien films too is the, this the mystery element, and I, I think this this has a lot of that um, a lot of that going for it. And there's even you know. Um, you know, they even leave the the trailer ends kind of on a cliffhanger. I think Jared uh, Leto's character says something about, um, you know, now, now my creation or something about something being unleashed. That uh, it's like, oh, well, what what is that? You know, yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, some other secrets that are going to be revealed. Um, and uh, you know, I'm just really excited because Phil Noob has a really good. Um, way of kind of revealing these these surprises in his films kind of like christopher nolan does too you know um they just have they just know how to time those things well and how to deliver them so so yeah. i'm really excited just uh for everything i've seen um and heard and it's just uh it's got me i'm just more stoked for it i just i, I can't wait so yeah yeah, you know what's cool is that like there is a ton of mystery to it, but there's also a sense of like motivation. Like you get the sense that these characters have real stakes that they're mm-hmm. really like that you you get you see that there's like this huge story behind all of these images that are kind of esoteric. So like mm-hmm. as it's happening, it's like you're you're watching this very mysterious thing unfolding that seems very important. You know what I mean? Right. And I I feel like that's like that's like the exact right tone. Mm-hmm. strike for a for a theatrical trailer you know yeah um and something love, else that's cool but yeah go ahead i was gonna say um and i love that part where gosling goes through this um deserted city that's just kind of um bathed in this sort of orange yellowish hue um but it's it's just empty it's just like this whole dead dead city is just uh and you know, there's a whole mystery of it was that, you know, where Tyrell's building was and like what happened. And, you know, that's, you know, 30 years is a long time to, you know, find out what's uh, what's been what's been going on, what's changed. And um, right. Right. Yeah. So. So, yeah, I think it's. Yeah. And especially because like all we know about that really, as far as I can, I've been able to tell is that the the world has sort of succumbed to um, environmental destruction and to like changes in um, in sea levels and into like atmospheric breakdown. So like so like the sort of desert that you see a lot mm-hmm. um, seems to be a res- like a direct result of that. So yeah, so it, like was that Los Angeles? Um, I don't know, you know, and this is this is neither here nor there. But I'm just thinking as you're saying that the, the, one of the shots to me that uh, like really sticks out is when they're in like an apartment building and they're super high up, and then um, one of like the one of these these sort of police vehicles. I don't know if it's a Blade Runner vehicle. Yeah, or not, but it like breaks through the glass and it's inside. Right. And mm-hmm. it's like all the sand's blowing out. And I'm like, oh, shit, like this feels so tactile. It feels right. so real. Uh, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it, it feels like I can I can taste the grit in my teeth. You know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know, actually, uh, but yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just, I was thinking, um, 
you know, I, I know you guys, uh, like me, you have a preference for films that um, are allowed to breathe and kind of like unfold slowly mm-hmm. at their own pace. And I was uh, listening to an interview with Denny that he did uh, with Collider magazine <clears throat> um, at Comic-Con, which was super good. And I, I encourage everybody listening to go check it out. But he, but he talks about how the current – well, I guess not the current because this was about a month ago. But the state of the assembly cut – uh, was a, almost four hours long. It was like three hours and fifty minutes. Oh, wow. And wow. he said that part of that was, and, and that like the theatrical cut that we're going to be getting is about two and a half hours. He thinks. Right. Mm-hmm. But the, but part of why it was so long is he said what he likes to do is he likes to deliberately allow even for even considering that it's an assembly cut where where things are allowed to play out. He likes to let shots run for like an obnoxiously long time so that he can mm-hmm. get a sense for when the maximum tension is within the like in yeah. situ and, hmm. and then know how to like cut it. So he said a lot of the the scenes are like so incredibly uh long in that assembly cut because like it's about composition and it's about um the narrative pacing. Right. Yeah. uh, I just think like that's that's going to bode so because I I want this to be a long movie. Like I I want this to be a series of tableaus that you can. And I'm plus, I mean, like the fact that Roger Deakins is a cinematographer for this thing Mm -hmm. alone is enough to make me feel like this is going to be a knockout hit. Like Brian Gosling said. Um, he said something like, um, if, if Roger Deakins shows up as your cinematographer, like half of your job is done already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's true. Like there's a shot in Sicario. So I'm getting off. I'll get back to the trailer in a second, but yeah, yeah. there's a shot in Sicario that took my breath away when I saw it the first time, mm-hmm. which is when they're going into, uh, the underground caverns towards the yeah. end. And, um, and they're, and they're using, they're in essentially zero light. And like, you can, right. you can barely see a few stars in the background and then you see, um, one of the characters, I can't remember who it is at this point, but you, but you, you can't even tell who it is. All you can see is that a few of the stars are blacked out, and it's this tableau of like absolute black on top of basically absolute black. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like, and and for, to get to get definition and to get like luminosity in that, um, in a way that like will transmit on a on a on a digital film like is mm-hmm. is so incredibly hard yeah and i feel like deacons it, like there's the only reason that worked is because they had somebody of his caliber doing that mm-hmm. right and, and there's so many shots in this trailer that like the, it's like the contrast is so yes. intense and the colors are so saturated and yeah. the framing so exquisite yeah and mm-hmm. it's like you remember like that orange of the sand ryan that you were talking about yeah it's so vivid you know what i mean it is yeah um, anyway, yeah. sorry I got off track, Jamie. What, what what do you think about the trailer? No, I yeah, I the trailer blew me away just uh, on aesthetics and to echo a little bit your your sentiments in terms of each shot has this sense of urgency to it that there is really this ta- this tactile feeling to it, but this sense of the story has to be told. Like there's yeah, I, I don't know. There, I feel compelled about it. You know, um, right now I'm looking at this one shot of. Officer K, which is Ryan Gosling's character, mm-hmm. walking through the Tyrell Corporation, and they're walking, they're approaching the steps to go downstairs, and there's all these, what appear to be replicant model, probably just model bodies in, in encased in liquid or they're suspended. I don't really know, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just beautiful. But what's interesting about this shot is. On the left-hand side, and I've just discovered this tonight, you can see a reflection of the woman in white. Like she's also encased in glass, as if to mm. say she's a replicant too. But you do mm. not see a reflection of um, of uh, Ryan Gosling's character on the other side. You only see her reflection. Like 
yeah, like it's telling you this is who, this is who she is as well. Um, huh. And just every scene, I mean, and some of the quotes already, you know, uh, that um, Jared Leto's character, you know, he's quoted as saying, or in the trailer, he goes, um, "Every civilization is built on the backs of." A disposable workforce but i can only build yeah. so many and that quote right there to me is already just uh just i don't know it just stays with me i think about it and mm-hmm. uh, i love his character's name his character's name is neander wallace um and it yeah. feels right it feels like a blade runner name um, yeah yeah this just yeah this, sapper lieutenant yeah. joshi <laughs> the names are yeah. awesome yeah mm-hmm. yeah it just it Officer really K. i mean the the this, this trailers and like you said ryan they're keeping the mystery to this. You don't even the, yeah. the the theatrical trailer, the last one that they released. It's interesting, but we don't really know what's happening. We see some right. people. We see um, that gentleman from uh, The Walking Dead. I can't remember his name right now. Lenny James. Lenny James. Yeah, which is Lenny funny. A, a funny don't aside get me. here. Morgan. Morgan Freeman. Morgan, Morgan. Yeah, we had somebody <laughs> on our bless your heart uh, on our on our Facebook page saying, "Hey, I didn't know they cast Morgan Freeman." <laughs> <laughs> um, and Morgan Freeman's like 40 years older than Lenny James. Um, yeah, yeah. Slightly different. Yeah. yeah. Slightly different. Um, but I thought it was funny. But yeah, I mean, you see a, a, a shot of him and he's got like a shawl around his head and his neck. And, um, he's somebody, he elevates anything. Like he's such an, such an amazing actor. Yeah, his gravitas is just oh, incredible. Crazy. He demands yeah. your attention when he's on screen, you know? Yeah, he's um, very really good. Yeah, I just uh, really, I... I, I I have nothing but good, good vibes, and just kind of oh, finding like, like Dave Bautista too. You know, yeah. there's another guy like that who just is has complete. I mean, I I, I still can't get over how amazing he is in Guardians. Like, mm-hmm. I think he's just like so he's so yeah. great role for somebody yeah. who was quote unquote just a professional wrestler. You know, mm-hmm. um, and now like even just in the trailer, like his his thing is ext- his appearance in that is a pretty prominent. Right, he's like towards the beginning of the most recent theatrical trailer, uh-huh. and like shots which for that trailer is quite a lot mm-hmm. and b um it's like super memorable like like you can sense a lot of pain coming off of him yes he, yeah power like it's just you know and also people like like barkhad abdi isn't it who is just like an like uh, another guy who is like an amazing character actor mm-hmm. who is, is also very haunting has yes. a very just yeah look. it's really he looks very haunted He's um, Captain Phillips, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, he's so indelible in that role. Mm-hmm. I'm a replicant it, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. He's, if he says that, I'm going to be so excited. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then Lenny James is going to say, don't get bit. And this is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> Um, like the, the whole cast is, like, very visually interesting. Like, they look very diverse and very captivating. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and yeah, the characters like are they already stick out to me a lot. Yeah. So here's the question then that I'm going to pose because really, uh, you know, I being in Blade Runner groups, there aren't a lot on Facebook, and the ones that are, there's probably about seven of eight of them. Uh, there's one that has three thousand members, which was used to be the Blade Runner UK one. They've just changed mm. their name to Blade Runner Worldwide Fans. Um, the rest of them have like three hundred members, two hundred members, twenty members, forty members, and then one has seven hundred and ninety nine members. So it's a very very small fan community online. Right. right. Um, it's not even. From what I can see, I mean, this is a really Blade Runner is a very niche film. I mean, it's gone through so many incarnations and edits itself. Um, yeah, it's a very specific following of people who love this film. Um, so the fan fandom is very small, and uh, a lot of people they are 
somewhat positive about what they're seeing, but they're more skeptical. Mm-hmm. And it's the here's the question: Does Blade Runner need a sequel? Hmm. I don't think it did. I mean, I honestly don't think it needed a sequel. Um, and I would have been fine if they never made one. But uh, but now that they have made one, who they have making it, um, and seeing what they've at least what I've seen so far, um, you know, I'm fully on board and I'm, I'm glad now I'm glad they made one, but if they had decided not to, I would have been, I would have been fine with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. I'm in yeah. the same boat, dude. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I like when, when, because like, you know, I, I, I kind of started getting wind of these aborted remakes, like maybe 10 years ago mm-hmm. and thinking like, Oh, like just don't, just don't, don't do it. Right. Like, don't, it's not going to be done right. Yeah. Just, just don't. Just like why? Like we don't need to remake. We have we have a freaking uh, what's that movie about the the battleship game from the eighties? Oh my battleship. god! Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. We're remaking yeah. fucking everything at this point. Like yeah. there is no need to give a gritty reboot to Blade yeah. Runner. And and I remember like seeing the news about like the Ridley Scott version. And being like, oh my god, like why, like why, why bother doing this? Like we have this amazing masterpiece, right? Like just, just let it, let it live in its own space. But then, I mean, within seconds of hearing it was going to be Denny Villeneuve, I was like, oh, yeah. oh my god, yeah, let me, yeah. I, let me do research, let me call everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's single-handedly. I mean, I don't even care about Harrison Ford being in this, and I love Harrison Ford. Like this has to be helmed by somebody with a true gift for filmmaking, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, so knowing that he's at the, at the front of this whole production and, and also like seeing that in, in subsequent interviews and things, he seems very confident. Like he seems like he feels like he's going to be putting out a movie that he feels is representative of his vision, you know, Mm -hmm. and his priorities. So I, I just feel like this is going to be great. And I'm, I'm super excited about it. And just like I said, with the lead up to Prometheus and Covenant, like if, if we decide that we don't like this movie, if, if we just don't want to engage with it. It's okay. We yeah. still have the original film, right? Yeah. yeah. We, right? What about you? Do I think it needs a sequel? No, it doesn't. Does any movie need a sequel? Probably not. Alien didn't need a sequel. Um, but now that we have Aliens, you can't imagine the saga without it. Uh, Alien isn't almost Alien without Aliens. Um, it's probably one of the best sequels ever made. Well, two things were a catalyst for me to get on board the sequel. Number one, Harrison Ford said it's the best script he ever read. Harrison mm-hmm. Ford does, does not mince words. Uh, no. He is not a superfluous, a superfluous person. Um, yeah. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't like, he doesn't grandstand. He doesn't do any of that. Like he's just no bullshit. There's no bullshit about Harrison yeah. Ford. He makes his films. He's interested in creating art and then he's on to the next thing. Um, right. So number one, when I read that, I was like, Oh, you know, and then <laughs> when they announced Denny Villeneuve, I was like, shit, this is going to be good. Um, right. And, and part of Denny Villeneuve's reason for doing it originally was he said that the script was incredible, right? He was mm-hmm. like, he, he was like, I, I would not have done this if the script hadn't totally captivated me. Yes. Right. So it's, yes. it's clear that the script is, is pretty special. I yes. think. Yeah. Yeah. And he even made comments. Um, Denny Villeneuve made comments saying, you know, there was a few things in the script that we needed to work on, you know? So he's had his mm. hand in, and I trust that. You know, I really trust that kind of uh, statement right there. And I trust him. I remember one of the first things I read about uh, him when they first started production. He goes, it's weird to me to 
to shoot a Blade Runner film, and I'm looking at the dailies, which for people who don't know, dailies are essentially um, uh, basically what you've shot in the day or what you've shot in the week. And you just sit in the theater and the cast and the the crew will see what they shot. And he's like, I was sitting in the and watching the dailies and just couldn't believe that what I was seeing wasn't Ridley Scott's alien. He's a very humble man. He's Mm. very um, introspective. He doesn't, there's nothing... um, arrogant about him whatsoever he there's no just hint of arrogance he's based in humility he's very approachable he seems very human um mm-hmm. he does he's like a good dude yeah totally and really I, i'm sold I, I i think if blade runner 2049 isn't good and it doesn't work i'm gonna be surprised because that that man is way too smart to not right. know what's gonna work now mm-hmm. i think this is what has to work i think it has to be its own story i think it can't feel like a sequel it's got to feel like a completely different story um yeah. even though it, it 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 uh deals with deckard um mm-hmm. and it has to stand on its own and the music does too i don't want to hear any vangelis in it i really don't as much as i love vangelis i know we touched on this before but go uh alien three on this you know uh you know elliot goldenthal wrote uh, the score for Alien Three and it had no callbacks to any of the Alien films, and it's one of the right. best. And it had one of the it's one yeah. of the best scores I've ever heard. You can do yeah. it. It's one of the best scores he's ever made. In fact, it's such a good score that they've reused uh, cues uh, of that score in other things. Fox has. I've seen it. I've seen it on TV. Mm-hmm. I've seen it mm-hmm. in shows. The music's used all over, and I. Mm-hmm. That's for me. I just really don't want to hear the Blade Runner theme. I want to hear something. I, I want to be taken to a new world. This isn't the 80s. The Blade Runner was really a reflection of the 80s in many ways. Yeah. And I want, sure, I'm, I'm down with synth and I'm down with conjuring that feeling, but take mm-hmm. me to, you know, take me to where Tron 2.0 took us. Take me to um, where the soundtrack to Stranger Things takes me. Let's, let's do, yeah. you know, let's, let's go somewhere mm-hmm. different. Don't I, I just really as much, I love Jed Kurzel. He did the score to uh, Alien Covenant. I love Jed Kurzel, but uh, and I know we discussed this in on our Alien podcast, but there was way too many callbacks to um, Jerry Goldsmith for my taste. Way yeah. too many. It, it relied so heavily upon Jerry Goldsmith. It didn't stand on its own, which I think mm-hmm. was unfortunate. So I'm my my hope is that um, it's it's a whole new deal. Yeah, and I mean a lot of people are going to go into this movie. I've never seen the original, mm-hmm. but they're going to say, hey, this looks good. A lot of, you know, young, young girls is that Ooh, Ryan Gosling's in that. Let's, let's <laughs> yeah. That. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, I mean, it, it really does have to stand on its own. It's got to be, um, it's got to be its own, own thing, but you know, for, but it's also got to be for, for those of us who have seen Blade Runner and, and do really enjoy it. I mean, um, it's got to be able to, you know, um, I want to say, like, uh, definitely not like a fan service thing, but it's got, you know, it's got to ha- be able to have that Blade Runner feel to it as well and be respectful to the original. Um, and that's, I mean, gosh, that's really hard. I was just yeah. thinking about this the other, just, I think it was today. It's like, man, it is hard to make. And I know I've talked about it with, uh, on Perfect Organism too. It's just like, it's hard to make a really good movie. Yeah. Um, Isn't it? Especially something, you know, that's a follow-up to, like, one of the best movies of all time. I mean, that's almost impossible. Yeah. I mean, no, I've been thinking yeah. about that so much. With this yeah. Movie. 
Yeah, yeah. like like the the amount of ex like listening to what's what Johansson's been going through, like the amount of expectation that we have for this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like like the you look at the at the fan. Re- I know this is this is uh, shoulder of Orion, but but you know you look at the at the reaction to Covenant. You know, like people are so impassioned to saying this is. Uh, this is like depending too heavily on the source material. This is diverting yeah. too much from the source material. This is like too lazy of a remake. This is too audacious of a recanonizing. Like you know, yeah. like we with these films that we invest ourselves in, we have really really elevated expectations for it. Mm-hmm. And the people that are creating them, like they have those expectations too. Like they have visions of what they want to get out of this thing as an artistic product. Yes. And um and and you have to be able to somehow reconcile that. And and I I mean I have to say, I have. Tremendous, tremendous respect for anybody who tries to do that, especially with something like Blade Runner. Because here's the right. thing: Blade Runner is not only essentially a cult film. I mean, it, it really, by by probably most definitions of it, is a cult film. Even though it's gone yeah. on to achieve greater notoriety, it has an extremely impassioned but kind of small fan base. Mm-hmm. And uh, within that kind of small fan base, there's like a, a really specific respect for aesthetic considerations that are uh, unique to Blade Runner. Right. Like nothing else looks like Blade Runner. And we know that because there are Instagram accounts, which we all follow, and Facebook groups based on those Instagram accounts, uh, what up, big Blade Runner reality, that uh, specifically try to try to like recreate those aesthetics in the real world. Like mm-hmm. It's a movie whose aesthetic is so characteristic and so special that people dedicate you know, social media accounts mm-hmm. to finding things that remind them of it in the room. I mean, can you think of any other movie like that? I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. And, 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 and so like, so, so like, so anybody going to see Blade Runner, uh, who is a fan of the original, who's going to see 2049 is going to say, it has to make me feel like I'm watching something of that universe. Mm-hmm. But the second you say that, you're putting these incredibly intense expectations on it because it has yeah. to uh, – it, it can't look like a facsimile of it. Right. But it has to look like it's of that same universe. And then you have to break down like what does that mean? Like, yeah. like what, what, what makes Blade Runner look like and sound like and feel like Blade Runner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? It's such a complicated stew of yeah. things like with the film noir stuff and the, and the way the storytelling unfolds and the, and the cute squirrel lighting mm-hmm. and – and like the the post-apocalyptic sort of metropolitan um, mm-hmm. landscapes and these things, like they're very distinct aesthetic considerations. Yeah, so it's dystopian, really- but it's not dystopian because it's it's right. like it's it's a dystopian society, but it's full of people um, at yeah. the same time, you know. And it's it's not high tech, but it is high tech. Um, yeah, it's dystopian, but it's colorful. Um, yeah, right. And it's filled with so much, so much. And I think about uh, the one film that I can. Compare it to Blade Runner, which is it really borrows heavily, is uh, Ghost in the Shell, and we've just talk, we've mm-hmm. talked about this before. And mm-hmm. Ghost in the Shell is totally borrows from the aesthetic of Blade Runner. But I've seen the film, and it was so beautiful and so well made. But it was absolutely hollow. There was no yeah. emotional resonance whatsoever. And that yeah, this film is the, was the new the Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, one. and that film yeah. was mired a little bit, a lot, and they re, you know they whitewashed the character, and she became white, yeah. and so that. A, yeah. a little uh, had a lot to do with that film not doing well. At the same time, though, it just had no emotional resonance. And yeah. um, a Blade Runner, it's pure emotion. I mean, right. Um, and you know, we have these characters like Rachel, who is just all she is is emotion. And then you have Deckard, who's kind of without emotion, and he's yeah. kind of reengaging that. She's she's bringing it out of him. And then you have uh-huh. Roy Batty, who's also all emotion. 
you know, and in his quest to live. I mean, so mm-hmm. it, it's so layered what made the original work. And we're not even talking about the original. We're talking about the, the director's cut and then the final cut. And yeah, um, right. so yeah. it's, 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 it's complicated. It's really Shit. complicated. It's it is. <laughs> Denny Villeneuve yeah. is doing the job no one wants to do. Yeah. And, and yet you see him in interviews and he, and he comes across believably like he feels like he's, you know, controlling the ship and he's happy with it. And mm-hmm. keep in mind, like Denny Villeneuve has said, and I think this was in an Entertainment Weekly interview that I just saw, um, he said that, uh, you know, in 1982, he was a kid, he was in arcades, he was playing games, he was immersed in the culture that Blade Runner was kind of birthed yes, out of, and yes. he was living in Canada, and he went and saw the movie and he loved it. He had an immediate engagement with the film, which as we know, was not the case universally for people who saw that film right. when it came out, right? Mm-hmm. But he said that he, even though even though the uh, there was the voiceover and, and all of these things that you know are more controversial now, he loved the original cut of the film, yeah. And he, he engaged with it, and it was and it was part of what led him into filmmaking in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you look at Ryan Gosling, who uh, I think in that same interview said that when he was uh, first living in Los Angeles. Uh, he and his friends would yes. pretend to be speed runners, and they would go out at night, <laughs> and they would play games where they were like hunting replicants, um, just in the sort of urban landscape of Blade Runner. Like the, the people that are engaged in this movie have a, a lot of history with it, yeah. um, and and so like so so I think that they're aware of the gravity of failing a remake. Like I feel like they're they're they know what that could look like to them mm-hmm. as, as fans of the film. And I get the sense in all the press that they've done that, that they're not worried about that. Like they seem pretty relaxed and pretty, um, mm-hmm. pretty genuinely excited about it. You yeah. know? Well, yeah. Uh, Bill Noir went on record um, in an interview saying, you know, I had a conversation with Ryan Gosling and we really had to come to, had to come to a place of peace with this film, probably not succeeding. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, or no, he, he used a term like the, the, the likelihood or not of this film being a success is very low. And we had to come to terms with that. And again, I read that quote and I was like, man, this is the man I want making the movie. This is that that kind of humility, that kind of self-awareness. That's that to me, like the struggle struggle makes good art and he's Mm -hmm. struggling and he he knows it's a struggle. You know, they're struggling. You know, I think there's been a struggle with the soundtrack to, we got to get it right. We got to get it right. And, Mm-hmm. just to recreate this world but make sure it's new i mean i wanted to talk briefly a bit about what i've read on you know in fan groups and people are like oh yeah there's just one scene where it looks like these two women um who are kind of very priss-esque and they're walking in like a cafe not a cafeteria but outside but it's mm-hmm. that blade runner aesthetic and they're like yeah, this almost looks right, but uh, it's just not quite as layered as the original, and I don't know. And then I wrote in there, I'm like, well, what do you want? Do you want it to be new, or do you want it to be the same? What do you want? Right. I said, this is 30 years later, so is it, does it have to look just the same as it looked before? What, what, yeah. like, can it breathe a little bit? Can it be its own thing? And then there was somebody who was like, no. And, like, they saw the, they saw a, um, this, that image of uh, Deckard and Officer K, they're sitting outside this wall where the sea is. And this guy was like, no, this is a this is a travesty. There's not open spaces like this in Blade Runner. I mean, he was not having it whatsoever. Right. And uh, I mean, he, there was no room at all in his mind for mm-hmm. something different. He wanted the yeah. exact same thing he had seen before. Um, and, and it's my- not like he's alone in that. I, I mean, there, there, there is a whole huge contingent of the people. 
people who will go to see this movie who want it to feel yeah. like the original film just didn't end and like it's continuing, mm-hmm. right? Right. Like yeah. they're just like they're still sitting in that same seat in the theater watching the continuation mm-hmm. of that exact same aesthetic, the exact same film. Um, yeah. And you can't please that. You can't please everybody. You, know? you can't. And certainly, I mean, with this, it's one thing to not please everyone. Um, and I was just thinking too about Alien and. Um, the sequels and the prequels and all that, and uh, you know, people have their opinions about this and that. But generally, even in the alien community, you don't see a lot of people saying, "Oh, that ship, that ship didn't look right," or "This was that." I mean, yeah, you'll have people saying that, but generally, there's no people are pretty open to, hey, "Yeah, this is a new ship, and that's what it looks like." Um, mm-hmm. Whereas with right. Blade Runner, they're like minute details, like, "What's that right there?" I don't know if that belongs. What that fog right, isn't right, thick right. enough, you know. Right. Um, I mean, yeah. even myself, there's a scene in the trailer where it looks like they're in some nightclub, and it's very flashy and very different than that kind of claustrophobic full nightclub that we saw in Blade Runner, yeah. the original. Uh-huh. Um, and it's jarring to me a little bit because it's different, and I'm not used yeah. to seeing it. But here's the thing with Alien: we've had six films by six, well, by True. five different. By True. four different directors with totally different, you know, a set of considerations and happening over the span of hundreds of years um, of technological development. And uh, there's, you know, an expectation that it's going to be this multivaried, diverse thing. With Blade Runner, like we've all been focusing on this one movie, yeah. you know, this one vision yeah. Yeah. For, for 35 years, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of time to be focusing on a couple of uh, on a couple of shots, you know. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I would agree. I'd agree. I think that, yeah, we've had you know thirty years, thirty years of aliens, and maybe almost thirty five years of Alien, um, or thirty six years, or something like that of the of yeah. the whole saga. So yeah, we've had iterations, and we've had things to sink our teeth into and to distract us. So we're not. But yeah, this is man. It just that even there, that's a revelation for me. Like. The idea that we've been this film has been marinating and and just living in our consciousness as this perfect thing, um, mm-hmm. and so now we have this new thing saying, "Hey, we want to kind of take you along another story," and right, uh, yeah. people are people are essentially like, "I don't know how I feel about that." This is uh, you know, as you guys were talking, I was thinking about um, you know, I wonder if, if Peter Himes kind of went through the same thing when he directed 2010. Uh, yeah. The year we make contact, you know, and following up one of the greatest sci-fi masterpieces ever made, um, and a movie that really just stands on its own and didn't need a sequel. And um, but uh, you know, I, I think it's the point where I mean, with with that one, Himes was given the you know, his, um, Stanley Kubrick gave him his blessing to just hey, you know what, go make the movie you want to make. Um, and I think uh, I think maybe what well, hasn't been talked talked about at least in the news what was probably happening was the studio went to Villeneuve and said you know what we love what you've done so far um and we feel like you're the right person to take over and we just want you to make the the best movie that you can make and we're going to trust you to to do that and um you know I, I really feel like that's you know I don't think there was a lot of talk to him about well you need to do this you need to have this look like that in the movie they're like no you know what just we we've seen what you've done so far. Your resume speaks for itself, and we want you to make um, with the, your your vision of this movie. And you know we trust you. And um, you know there you can't can't please everybody. Like that guy who saw that shot of them standing sitting next to the wall and just like I'm, I'm not having this. <laughs> this is, uh, <laughs> you know I mean you're gonna have 
people like that that uh, you know they're they're few and far between, thankfully. Um, you know, and uh, so I think uh, I think this movie will be able to stand stand on its own and uh, be its own thing. So I really I really trust in Villeneuve and everyone else that's making it, and you know I, I don't have any any worry about you know the the quality of it. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And uh, I think, uh, well, I know, we know from his films, Villeneuve is a heady and complicated filmmaker. His films are full of subtext, and there's so much more going on. I mean, Arrival is about so many things than just aliens visiting the planet. I mean, it's about Mm -hmm. loss and motherhood and being a parent. And what would you do if you knew the future? Would you still choose the same thing? Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many questions in Arrival. Um, the, the the idea of language and how the wrong word can either cause war or it can cause peace. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and even our, our our current political climate. Look at what words are doing. Look at how yeah. words are are uh, polarizing or unifying. For some, they're unifying. Right. For some, they're polarizing. I mean, it's mm-hmm. um, it's 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 really uh, cerebral and uh, very self aware things. And uh, I, that's yeah. that's those are the kind of films that I I just will jump headfirst into. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, maybe we can leave it on this note. Interestingly enough. And there's some controversy about this because uh, there was a piece written by, I can't remember who, what outlet, but a couple outlets ran with it saying that Harrison Ford essentially had director's choice and he mm-hmm. went with Villeneuve instead of Ridley Scott. And as mm-hmm. we know, uh, or some people know, some people don't, it's a very storied relationship that Scott had with uh, Harrison Ford when uh, Blade, the, a real, the original Blade Runner was being made. Um... Yeah, mm-hmm. so there's so much there, uh, and it, it's interesting if that is the case. If it is the case that Harrison Ford had decided let's go with someone else instead of yeah. Ridley Scott, I mean, it just creates a kind of a different. And I don't want to get too much into the drama of that, um, mm-hmm. but I, it to me it speaks a lot to me that Harrison Ford has the weight uh, as an actor to say no, this is who I would prefer to go to, to right. go with as a as an actor. And really, we're in a new we're in a new era of actors having a lot of say so in who makes the films that they're in mm-hmm. um whether and it's script say so it's uh, i mean tom cruise a lot of his films he hires the directors himself he works with mm-hmm. them he you know well because he also produces them yeah, yeah yeah so yeah. you know <laughs> these actors have a, I, I from what i know i think uh gosling is also producing 2049 i mean he has a stake yeah. in it um mo- Films I see with Brett, you know, with Brad Pitt or with Matt Damon, they all uh, work. They, they, they have questions about the script. They think this should get better. They think that should get better. Um, so I really think Blade Runner twenty forty nine is going to be not just a product of Ridley Scott doing the footwork and getting the story done. It's also the, the footwork of Harrison Ford and people wanting to yeah. get the best team possible to make the best yeah. film possible. Right. Yeah, right. Right. And you know, I think part of that is uh, comes down to the simple argument that you know um, allegedly transpired between Scott and uh, Ford about whether or not Deckard was a replicant. Like mm-hmm. supposedly they had a falling out about that um, mm-hmm. in a restaurant, um, and that was like a, a kind of a turning point. But you know, I think I think if you read between the lines a little bit and you look at some of the press that has happened for this film, Villeneuve makes a point of saying that. Harrison Ford and Ridley Scott 
have a lot of mutual respect and admiration for each other, which I think is really him saying that they might not be on the best terms, mm-hmm. but they're working together. Yeah. But yeah. also, yeah. you have to picture like, I mean, Harrison Ford, we know, is not exactly a teddy bear, you know, mm-hmm. of a, a, I mean, I, yeah. I love him, but he's not, he's not like the, you know, the most jovial, easy to get along with person in the world. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Ridley Scott is like the human equivalent of a porcupine, you yeah. know, he's yeah. like, he's like, an, he's yeah. a genius. He's an amazing person, but he's also like, you know, he's, he's like, he does not mince words, and he makes a lot of enemies just as much as he makes admirers. You know, mm-hmm. so they're, they're two they're two very intense personalities with very intense artistic identities, and I think um, it makes sense that they would, you know, get into some trouble. Whereas Villeneuve, from all I've seen, is very much uh, like a, a mediator. Like you know, Jake Gyllenhaal, the reason why he's worked with them um, a few times is because uh, they became like great friends, and he thought that he was just like a really wonderful artistic collaborator after they worked together on Prisoners, and they stayed in touch. And, um, you know, Gyllenhaal did Enemy largely because he just wanted any excuse possible to work yes. with Phil Newman. He thought it was mm-hmm. so, such, such yeah, a wonderful yeah. relationship. So it, it seems like he's the sort of person who could get the best out of a character like Ridley Scott and the best out of a character like Harrison Ford. Yeah. And maybe that's what it took. Maybe it took a unifier. It took somebody who was a bridge builder instead of a mm-hmm. bridge builder. Yeah. I, I'd agree totally. I think uh, yeah. a, a quick aside. I think uh, Gyllenhaal might be an interesting Paul Atreides if uh, mm. when when oh, that wow. when that ball gets rolling. I mean, he's just he seems like the right. He has the right look. He's youthful enough. Um, yeah, mm. that he'd be interesting yeah. as Paul Atreides. Yeah. It'd be a defining role for him if it, if it's the case. At any rate, I think that's a wrap. I did yeah. want to just mention really quick before we go that uh, one last piece of news was that um, Blade Runner did get 2049 to get R rating. Um, and um, and with that and then also being two and a half hour runtime, I just um, – to me that – just that speaks to this is the movie that they, they want to release and not – they're not trying to meet a runtime. They're not trying to, you know um, – make you know make it pg-13 uh so we'll get more people in the seats this is there it's going to be gritty it's going to be dark it's going to be um and it's going to be you know there's going to be a lot going on in it and it's going to be quite a ride so um, yeah yeah yeah. and it sounds like it's going to be uncompromising which i Mm -hmm. think is exactly what it has to be right it does it does it's going to be as long as it needs to be it's going to be as gritty as it needs to be Mm -hmm. um Hey, there's there's one piece of news that I forgot to bring up too, which is uh, that apparently there's a, a pretty extended Elvis cameo um, in this film, which according to an interview in Variety, uh, the guy who uh, owns the estate, the, the Elvis Presley estate, whose name is Joel Weinshanker, says that uh, that Elvis is like in. 2049 for like a pretty significant amount of time. So mm. I think it's it's safe to say that we know very little about this film, even though it feels like we know a lot about it. I think we barely even have scratched the surface. Yes, <laughs> and actually those are Denny Villeneuve's words in terms of the aesthetics. He's like, we've barely shown anything. Um, right. So yeah. I am just, I mean, really, Blade Runner, story aside, the aesthetics of the original are just, I mean, it's like you, you, your eyes, it's a feast for the eyes. Um, yeah. And the bits that we've seen in these trailers are also a feast for the eyes. So I can't imagine yeah. what we haven't seen. I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait. I, yeah. I hope I'm able to go in the theater with some other people and uh, that I yeah. know and really enjoy and discuss. I know we'll be discussing it right after. We'll have a reaction. Um, but yeah, there's so much more to discuss. Yeah. Um, until then. We about, should definitely you know, do that after we, after we all get out of the theater. Totally. Yeah. Have, yeah. have a late night. I, I mentioned for the listeners, I mentioned to the guys, I'm actually going to be in England um, 
right up until the premiere, and, I'm, and I made sure to fly back in time to be yeah. able to catch it with, with my wife in our favorite movie theater. Yeah. Um, time to like tape a show afterwards because this is going to be for better or for worse something that none of us will ever forget yeah right i mean how often can you say that you know right that's true well Well, thanks everybody for uh listening and thanks guys for doing this and recording thank you yeah yeah thank you i've seen Attack ships on fire on the shore of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten house gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears.